Hey, uh, we kicked off a new series last week. Alex kicked it off for us. It's called Abide in Christ. Everybody say that. Abide in Christ. That was terrible. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're going to do it on three. All right, you ready? One, two, three. Abide in Christ. All right, good job. Not too bad. Hey, listen, in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at these two chapters from the book of John, chapter 15 and chapter 16, super obvious by the title graphic there. And in this series, what's happening is Jesus is kind of honing in on this idea of what does it mean to abide in him? And he gives us lots of different things about what that looks like and analogies and lots of things about what it means to abide in Christ. Now, we talked about it last week. Abide is not a word that we so commonly use, right? Abide is kind of like one of those words like you might know what it is, you might not. It's like, I don't know, just not a very common word. But we talked about how abide means to what? Does anybody remember what Alex talked about? Abide means to not to trust. It means to remain, right? To stay, to remain. And actually, I think we're looking at Alex's talk slides from last week. But it talks about remaining, to stay, to reside, all right? That is what it looks, that's what it's talking about when it says to abide. So Jesus is saying, hey, remain, stay in me. And, and Alex talked about how that wasn't something that was going to be like just kind of chilling. I'm going to remain. I'm just going to sit here like when you got here to church tonight, you rode in the car with your parents and you abided, you remained in the seat, the driver's seat or the passenger seat actually on your way here to church, right? You sat there. How many of you wear your seatbelt in the car? Good. Praise the Lord. All right. You wear your seatbelt. You remained in that seat. No, no, no abiding. He's like, hey, mom, I'm not going to ride in the passenger seat. I want you to put me on top. Mom, I don't want you to strap me down. I want you to just let me hold on to the roof rack, all right? And listen, 70 miles an hour on Route 8, that's pretty good, all right? I'm going to actively remain. I'm going to stay. I'm going to abide. I'm going to reside right here on this car. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's saying, hey, abide in me, remain in me. Things are going to get tough. They're not going to be easy. And when that happens, stay. Don't go anywhere. Don't just chill, but actively remain. Abide in me. Uh, Actually, last week, I didn't know this. All right, I'm gonna let you guys know a little secret. Alex is a botanist. Did you guys know that Alex studied botany? I didn't know that either. He was talking all about like a vine dresser and pruning trees and stuff. I mean, give it up for our botanist, Alex. He studied botany. He's going to be a, a mad scientist one day, all right? No, he talked to us last week about this. One of the things that's evident in our life when we are abiding in Christ, he said that those who abide in Christ will bear what? Fruit, right? Remember his shirt? Do you remember his shirt last week? He had a big picture of a bear and fruit. Look at my shirt this week. It has nothing to do with the lesson tonight, all right? It's just a regular shirt, all right? Yeah, Alex said, if you abide in Christ, you will bear fruit. And the passage talks about, hey, for those of you who are bearing fruit, which means like there is evidence that you are really following Jesus when you bear that fruit, that when you bear fruit, that there will be some pruning involved so that you can bear more fruit. But for those who don't bear fruit, then that will be, they will be cut off from the vine and thrown into the fire. All right, that's what Alex talked to us, our botanist talked to us about last week. And tonight, we are going to move from the garden, everybody say garden, Garden. 
to the throne room, all right? We're moving from the garden to the place where the king is, all right? When I graduated high school, uh, a present from my father-in-law was to go to Paris, all right? He took my, my whole family uh, just on this trip to Paris. It was like part of my graduation gift. Have you guys ever been like out of the country to like Europe? or Anybody been to Paris? Yeah, a couple over here. Yeah, we. Oui, I've been to Paris, all right? Yeah, it was this extremely extravagant thing. I never would have been able to afford it, um, and it was just amazing, all right? And if you ever get a chance to go somewhere that's like extremely historic, go, take it in, soak it in. It was, it was, it was enjoyable, no doubt. And while we were there, um, my father-in-law, he wanted to go to a place called the Louvre, the Louvre, the Louvre, all right? It's this, it's this triangle-shaped thing, and they have a bunch of art, all right? I hate art, all right? Not that it's like a bad thing. I just have no desire to walk around a big building and look at other people's paintings, all right? But it was his trip. He wanted us to go, so we went. And in that museum, the Louvre, there was a famous picture, super famous picture. Picture. I would maybe call it the most famous picture in the world. Does anybody know what picture I might be talking The Mona Lisa was in, in the Louvre, all right? And so Alex and I, we're driving through Ravenna this past week. I don't know. Ravenna doesn't have a whole lot, but we were driving through Ravenna. And this question came up, what is like the most famous painting in the world, all right? And Alex said, well, like the Mona Lisa is pretty famous. He's like, I don't even think that's the real Mona Lisa in the Louvre. He watched Da Vinci Code or something. I don't do movies. But anyways, he says it's not the real one. I think it's the real one. And uh, anyway, so Alex said, hey, I think a contender for the most famous painting in the world might be this one, all right? What do you call this painting right here? The Last Supper, that's right. So listen, when we're going through this passage, John 15 and 16, this is the image I want you to have in your mind, all right? This is Jesus sitting around a table with his disciples giving them some of the most important info that they're going to get because this weekend coming up, Jesus is going to be crucified. Some commentators say this, this section of John is all about Jesus testing the disciples to see, is their faith really legit? Are they really going to abide in me? Are they actually going to remain? Because things are about to get tough, they're about to go through some trials. Jesus is about to die and then later be resurrected. Jesus, the person they've been following around for the few years, devoted their life to, is about to go away. And Jesus says, hey, are you going to abide in me? Are you going to actively remain and hold fast to everything that I've taught you? And I think that question poses for us well too. Will we abide when things are tough? When you feel like Jesus might be the most distant thing in your life, will you abide in him? Will you remain? Will you stay? Will you hold fast to him? And that is the question we answer. What does it look like to abide in Christ? So Alex hit a big one last week. When we abide in Christ, we will bear fruit. There will be evidence in our life that Jesus is real to us, that we're following him, that we're pursuing him, and there will be these fruits that come about in our life. We talked about how that could be spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, all of them, that those things might be evident. Tonight, we're going to look at another one, and it comes from the chap, uh, chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. It'll be up on the screens if you want to follow with me. Jesus says, this is my commandment, 
that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus is about to do. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Here's the big idea for tonight. When you are abiding in Christ, you are cherished. When you abide in him, not only will you bear fruit, but know that you are cherished, all right? When I think of this idea of cherish, man, there are many things uh, that come to mind of things that I cherish in life. Maybe you, things come to your mind too of like maybe uh, your family, somebody like a family member or something that you own. Maybe it's like something that was passed down to you. I didn't bring it out here with me tonight, but one of the things that I cherish so deeply is I have this Bible from my grandpa and it is a, it's a huge Bible, it's thick, it's King James Version, it's like real leather. And when my grandpa passed away a few years ago, my family said, hey, we want to give you something from your grandpa, and that's what they chose to give me. Now, one of the things about this Bible, I wish I could show it to you right now, is that it is like, it looks like it is brand new. All right, it looks like it's never been opened, it's never been written in, maybe actually has never been read out of. It was given to my grandpa in 1997. My grandpa held on to it. It was like his only Bible. That was the Bible that he always had. And it is a reminder to me that, man, I don't want my Bible to look brand new and pristine and so clean. I want my Bible to be written in, maybe like, uh, you know, highlighter, maybe like pages folded over. It looks like it's been through the trash can a few times because I've used it so much. It's always in my book bag. I want my Bible to feel used, but it's something that I cherish something that I, I love. It's something that is very special to me. And I think when we, when we think about things in our life that we cherish, I think that God cherishes us. And I think that this passage speaks about a few things that are, are really just kind of trademarks of things that we cherish. In the first couple of verses, Jesus is talking about love. All right. He's talking about love. He's actually been talking about love for a really long time throughout all of these passages. Uh, he talks to us about love in so many different ways through like chapters 13 through 17. Now we use this idea of love all the time, but let's look at what the Bible says about it. It says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. He's saying the, the, the most amount of love anyone can ever have is to give up their own life for their friends. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples. Now listen, we use the word love all the time. Maybe you have a boyfriend and girlfriend in the room and maybe you've already told them that you love them, right? That is not the kind of love we are talking about, all right? We use this idea of love, like I, I, could, I, could, say, I could have you say, what are the things that Alan loves? And you would name off things that I would say, no, all right? <laughs> you would name off things that I love. But listen, this Christian idea of love that Jesus is talking about right here has nothing to do with feelings. It has nothing to do with that, man, that good feeling in my stomach I get after I eat some of the Lord's chicken. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with our emotions. 
The Christian idea of love is simply the act of the will. To do what I know that I ought to do, even when I don't want to do it. That is what Jesus is talking about when he says to love one another just as I have loved you. And also in the Bible, it talks about how we should love God. To do what we know we ought to do, even when we don't want to do it. The act of overcoming our will to do what we know we should do. That is the Christian idea of love. Just a few chapters before this, Jesus said, and I, and I used it in a talk just a couple weeks ago. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus is saying the best way that you can show love to me is by doing the things that I've asked you to do, to be obedient. But you can't stop there at just saying that you love God. Here it says, this is my commandment, that you love who? One another. One another. Yeah, not just to love God. We can't just say, oh, I love God, and I'm doing everything that God wants me to do, and me and God are good, we're tight, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, I love God, I'm good. Don't stop there. In John 13, two chapters before this, he says, they will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. Jesus is saying, hey, it's good that you love me. It's good that you keep my commandments, but it's also just as important that you love the people around you, that you love one another. When you are abiding in Christ, when you're really following him and pursuing him and remaining and staying in him, just as the disciples are about to be tested as they go into Jesus' death, when you are abiding in him, your love for God and your love for other people will be evident. It will be present in your life. You will learn to say no to yourself and your desires and the things that you want, and you'll learn to say yes to God. You'll learn to say yes to caring for people. You'll learn to say yes to what other people need above what you would think that you need on your own. That is what it means to love, to love God and to love one another. The next couple of verses, Jesus talks about this idea of friendship. Let's read that one together. It says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Now, Jesus wasn't using the term here, servant, as like a, a word of endearment, a word of like, you're my servants, all right? That's not what Jesus is talking about. In fact, the idea of being a servant actually carried on as Jesus called, someone, called them his friend. Think about the people you would call your like best friends in life, all right? Just close your eyes. Think about that person, all right? Think about your friend. Does that person do nice things for you? Like if you were broke down on the side of the road, like if you hadn't, didn't have anything to eat and you said, bro, Alex, could you bring me a PB&J? Would, would Alex serve me in that way to do what is good for me? <laughs> he says maybe all right hopefully your friends when you think about that they would that they still would serve you jesus is saying hey listen that idea of servanthood that idea that that you will serve and you will do listen he says you are my friends if if you do what i command you the servanthood idea is still there but jesus says hey now you're more than just someone who does what i ask you because everything that i know i have made known to you there's nothing I'm hiding from you. There's nothing I'm keeping from you. Everything that I know, I'm passing down to you. I am an open book. Jesus says, everything that the Father has told me, I've made known to you. 
You never have to wonder, am I hiding something? You never have to wonder, what am I up to? You never have to wonder if there's ulterior motives. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you're my servant, but you're also my friend. I have your best interest in mind. I care about you. One commentator talked about how this idea of friend, the real root meaning of this word is actually the idea of an inner circle. Like how a king would have an inner circle of people around him that were kind of like his second in command, kind of like his advisors. See, the, the Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I am royalty. There's no need to bid for my position. I am the king. But listen, all of you are my inner circle. You are my people, and you have no, no reason to even compete with one another. That You are the people that I am looking to. You are the people who are the closest to me. You are the people that I hide nothing from. Jesus saying, you are my inner circle. That is the kind of idea. We toss that idea of friend around all over the place, but Jesus isn't using it in the way that we would use it. He's saying, you are my inner circle. You are the people that I hide nothing from. So Jesus moved from the garden and being a vine dresser to the throne room. Where he is the king, he is royalty, we honor him, but know that he is not hiding anything from us, that he's given us his spirit to us. He's moved us from the garden to the throne room. But don't get me wrong, you did not get there by chance. You didn't just all of a sudden walking around in the garden one day and stumble into the throne room. Look at what it says in the last two verses. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. So that you should go, you should bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, that he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Jesus is talking about being chosen. For Jesus' disciples, he literally walked the shores of Galilee and picked them up. He said, hey, you, you, Peter, Andrew, James, John, follow me. He chose them one by one, and he's sitting around this table. He is saying, remember that day where I chose you, where I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. Remember that. I chose you. You didn't choose me. I came after you. And it, it, it really blows my mind sometimes to think about this, that the God of the universe pursues us, that the God of the universe wants us and desires us, and it chases after us and chooses us, not because he has to, but because he wants to. That that is the God we serve. Not one who comes to us out of obligation, but one who really wants us and pursues us and chooses us before we could ever even think about choosing him. That's what God wants from us, is relationship. He chooses us. Isn't that just amazing to think about? No matter what I do, no matter what I've done, no matter what I will do, God still wants me. God still wants you. And the reality is that there is no other relationship in life like that. You might have somebody in your, in your mind, like, no, they're my best friend. No matter what I do, they'll stick by me. The reality is that we're all fallen. We're all broken. We all can turn our back on the bestest of best friends. Jesus never will. He wants us. He pursues us. And I think as we think about these things, about being loved and being Man, that Jesus calls me friend, not just servant. That Jesus really pursues me, he chooses me. When we think about those things, don't you just feel that sense of being cherished? Being something that, man, God really like wants me. 
God really loves me. He cares about me. He cherishes me. I think there are a few things that I want you to write down on your card, all right, as we think about this idea that that God is royalty and he desires us in his presence. The first one is that I am loved. Write that. I want you to write that on your card, that you are loved by God. The next one is that I am befriended, that God befriends you, that God doesn't just call you servant, but that he calls you friend. The last one is that you are chosen. So it says, I am loved, I am befriended, and I am chosen, all right? That is what Jesus is saying to us, that we are loved, that we are befriended, that we are chosen. And when we look at that, we say, man, I am, I am cherished, cherished by God. Do you feel cherished by God? Like, just think about that for a minute. Do you feel like God cherishes you? Like, I would hold my grandpa's Bible in my hand, or I might would hold my child in my hand and say, man, I cherish this. I cherish this moment. I, you know, we use that, all that phrase all the time, that you cherish something. Do you think that God cherishes you, that he wants you like that? Because I think when we really begin to embrace these ideas that we are loved, that we are befriended, that we are chosen, that we will naturally do something about it. So when you think about being loved, when you really believe that God loves you, you will do as Jesus commanded us to do, to go out and love God and to love one another. All right, maybe you can write that down under that section that says, I am loved. When you are loved and when you really believe that, embrace that, you will love God and you will love the people around you. He says that God has befriended you, that he's called you friend, not just servant. He's talking about how, it says, I am resting in the inner circle of God. That you say, you know what? God has my best interest in mind. God does not have ulterior motives with me. God is not hiding things from me. God is open book with me. He's given me his word. He's given me the ability to pray to him. God has my best interest in mind. And when we begin to rest in that, we say, man, God has befriended me. God has put me in his inner circle. And that's an amazing thought to just sit behind. When we realize that God pursues us, that God chases after us, that God wants us and desires us, we will respond to that. Despite everything that I have ever done to turn my back on God, he still loves me. He still wants me. He still cherishes me. And because of that, I pursue him. I want to go after him. I still mess up. I still do wrong. But because of his love for me, it pushes me towards him. There's a song that we sing uh, on Sunday nights here with our high school. It just says, your kindness leads me to repentance. It's this idea that we love because he first loved us. That's a Bible verse. We forgive because he first forgave us. All of these things that God did that for us first. And because of that, we run towards him. So listen, the disciples, they're sitting around a table, eating probably their last meal together with Jesus before they head over to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is arrested. That's the scene we have. And Jesus says, hey, are you going to like actively remain in me? Are you going to abide in me? Are you really going to stay when it gets tough, when trials come? Because, hey, the weekend's not looking great for all of us. The best, the best love anyone can have is to lay down his life for his friends. That's literally what Jesus is telling his followers right then. Will you remain? That's a question for all of us. Will we stay true? Will we abide in him? Will we rest in him when things get tough?
Listen, I want you to talk about some of these things with your, with your peers and with some of our adult volunteers. So I want you to circle up and to work through uh, a few questions together, all right? You can look at All right. Hey, listen, I'm glad you got a chance to talk about some of those things. I know, hey, listen up. I know our groups are kind of big tonight and it might not have been easy uh, to talk about some of those things, but I really want you to process, man, what does it mean to be cherished by God? What does that look like in my life? What does that motivate me to do? How does it feel to be in God's inner circle? Because Jesus is taking his disciples from the garden, the vineyard, to now the throne room, and next week we're going to be in the battlefield. Jesus is kind of walking his disciples through, man, abide in me, remain in me, stay in me. I want you to embrace God's ideas about you this week, that you are cherished, that you are loved, that you are befriended, you are chosen. I think when you, when you really, truly embrace those things, it will spur you into action. That when you know that God loves you, you will freely love God and love other people. That whenever you truly feel that you are befriended by God, that you will rest in his inner circle knowing that God has your best interest in mind. He, has, he knows what's good for you. He wants what's good for you. And that ultimately he's not hiding anything from you. He's given you his spirit. He's given you his word. That when you really embrace the idea that God pursues you and chooses you because he wants you, you'll respond to that by running after him. That is my hope for you. I hope you'll embrace and really think about and dwell on those ideas this week. I can't wait to be back with you guys next week. But until then, let me pray. Lord, thank you for loving us, for befriending us, for pursuing us. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray that we would embrace those ideas this week. In Jesus' name, amen.